I hope you have yours. You will not find a Christian, right, left, or center, who doesn't utilize the Bible to prove their position is both right and godly. Literally everyone does this. And this is super confusing. If you are new to the faith, maybe, or maybe you're just prone to doubtfulness, or you hear an argument that that sounds very convincing and yet is very different than maybe what you learned previously. This morning, I want to help cut through some of the misinformation and confusion by showing you how it is that that all of us probably run into instances where we either inadvertently or maybe on purpose manipulate scripture to get what we want out of it. This process or this practice is called proof texting. Proof texting. Now, I'm sure you could go through my sermons. I've got a ton of them, and I'm sure that I am guilty of it too. So I am I am not castigating anyone that I don't also <laughs> include myself in. We all have fallen into this at some time or another. But if we recognize it now, we can kind of work on it and become better Bible interpreters by avoiding it as much as possible. Now, proof texting is exactly what it sounds like. You want to prove that you are right. So you find an authoritative voice and you employ that voice on your side. Unfortunately, some of you can already pick up on the problem, right? If you go to the Bible to prove your point, you always will. Let the hearer understand. We do this when we argue. You ever defended yourself by saying, well, I I didn't mean it like that. (laughs) We say that because in any instance, we can often be misread or misinterpreted. And the bummer about the Bible is that Jesus doesn't show up and smack us in the back of the head and say, you guys, for crying out loud. So we're stuck trying to figure out what the Bible is saying or doing without the benefit of having an author directly correct us and say, nah, man, that wasn't what I was going after. So what happens is we try to make sense of the Bible, and often we make sense of the Bible not on our own. In fact, we never make sense of the Bible on our own. We always make sense of the Bible within our own culture, context, family, church. All of these things impinge on us as it helps us put the pieces of our belief about God and the world together. Well, You get this fast and hard, proof texting, you get this fast and hard when people want to disprove the Bible or make fun of it. Spend a few minutes on Reddit and you can find somebody, (laughs) I did recently, who takes this verse, Ephesians 5.22, wives must obey their husbands as they obey the Lord. And I saw this guy on uh, Reddit using it disingenuously to show how the Bible is patriarchal and misogynistic. Well, we would be lying if we said that the people in the Bible didn't often live, in fact, always live in a patriarchal society. And we would be lying if we said that some Bible characters, Abraham and David famously, didn't display qualities that are a touch misogynistic, if if not worse. <laughs> but that atheist who probably didn't read the Bible well missed was that that whole section of Ephesians 5 kicks off with verse 21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, if everyone is submitting to everyone because everyone is supposed to be trying to be Jesus-y and outdo one another in humility and honor, of course wives will submit. And so will husbands, as every decent God-fearing husband out there who hears this would be willing to admit. 
But what makes it even more priceless is that this atheist who, had, who hadn't bothered to read even further down would have found Paul's conclusion at the end in which he says that this whole thing had nothing to do with the family unit at all. He says in verse 32, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Paul says this isn't about marriage. This is about how we are interacting with Christ. I'm using an illustration which you see in society around you. And then he gives us one verse, only one verse, about marriage directly, and submission isn't there. Another common example of proof texting is something I saw uh, a week or two ago when the president's favorite prosperity gospel preacher, Paula White, stood up to speak slash pray at the National Day of Prayer. And she quoted a ton of verses, just like one right after another. Boom, boom, boom. Chronicles, Psalms, Deuteronomy, just stringing these verses together as she used them to declare on America and the president blessings. Now, the whole prayer was a perfect example of proof texting. And we don't have time to do all of it, so let's just do the very first line that she opened with. She she summarizes rather than quotes, but I think she must be coming from the King James Version because no modern version that I could find plays the way that she wants it to. But what she says from Job twenty-two twenty-eight is that when we declare a thing together, that declaration is decreed. To read literally, it says, you shall declare a thing and it shall be established unto you. This, she claims, means that she and those gathered well can declare over America whatever blessings the Bible contains and, and just kind of pull them right up and apply them to us. And that is very appealing. But it also isn't true. The verse she uses is a part of a larger book, the book of Job. And the book of Job is focused on a very different topic than the blessings that America might need now. It's a book about theodicy, about pain, about suffering. And the quote that she actually uses is not from Job at all. It's from Eliphaz. Eliphaz, who is wrong. Let me say that again. Eliphaz, who is wrong. It's one of Job's friends who God, at the end of the book, corrects. <laughs> she literally quotes from someone that God is going to say, don't listen to that dude. He's got it all wrong. But even if we forget that, and you read the chapter as a whole. Really, it's Eliphaz's response to Job. So it's a part of an argument. It's not a fact or a decision written down in stone for all time for us to just grab it so we can name it and claim it and make any blessing we want apply to us. This is Eliphaz telling Job the reason he is suffering is because some unrepentant sin is in his life and that if he would turn himself over to God, God would establish his paths again. Now, hold on to that for a second. Remember, because you might want to say, oh, well, that might be exactly what she was after. No, because Eliphaz is wrong. Don't forget, Eliphaz is wrong. So what Miss White does is quote a passage of Scripture to make it okay to use the rest of Scripture. But if we pay close attention to the context of that verse, the book, the chapter, and the whole Bible, we see that this is not a faithful use of Scripture. In fact, it is simply using Scripture to affirm what we hope will happen. And that is proof texting. And that is an abuse of Bible interpretation that all of us are guilty of 
at one point or another. But if you can see it clearly here, we can maybe see it clearly in our own lives. So with these two examples, one from a non-Christian and one from a Christian, we can see that proof texting is widespread, and often we don't even realize that we're doing it. This is why she didn't quote it directly from any Bible translation, something she was so familiar with she could just say it. Or it's an argument that atheist has used so many times to, to slam the Bible, he didn't think to check the verse before or the verses following. Because we get used to making arguments, and we stop asking questions. We stop reassessing our beliefs and we allow our beliefs to assess the Bible. And when we stop asking questions, we start getting nervous when people do ask questions. You'll notice that as well. Well, I want to encourage you to not be like that. That if we had just taken some time, if both of these examples, the, the, uh, the speakers in these situations had taken the time to read the full context they probably would have been more careful about their arguments and their use of them. So what are the rules that we could lay down that would help us to avoid proof texting? There's three very simple ones. The first I learned from my dad, and it is kind of a Stone Campbell restoration movement thing, uh, book, chapter, verse. Anytime somebody says, well, it's in the Bible, ask for book, chapter, and verse. Not because you don't want to believe the person, but because you are aware of how inherently biased we all are. And so we want to look up every time somebody says something. That is why you should have your Bibles close to you. The second thing is context is king. That the book, the chapter, and the verse provide for us the larger context for whatever passage or theological topic we're discussing. And even inside that one book, because Job is not the only book in the Bible, we have to put Job inside of its larger context within the wisdom literature of Scripture, and then the wisdom literature and the larger context of the Old Testament, and then the Old Testament and the larger context of the New Testament, and all of that in the context of Jesus the living, breathing Word of God who has given to us the glory of His Spirit, right? That is what we have to hold on to. And thirdly, how often the Bible reminds us to read Scripture in public. The public reading of Scripture allows us to avoid individual and odd interpretations because all of us at some point get kind of spun out in our own heads and we need somebody outside of ourselves to say no dude that's that's kind of weird that's probably not what's going on here and we need to not be afraid of that because all of us at some point will find ourselves in that position of needing correction and so again we want to avoid proof texting and instead hold on to the full vision of Scripture so that we can be most faithful to God, most faithful to the Scriptures, and all of this so that we might faithfully lead others to the living God. Peace and strong coffee.